please do be seated. It's great to be here with you this morning. And as you heard earlier, uh, great week this week in the life of the church. Lucy and Jamba, after many months of praying and preparation, are here now. Uh, Lucy here at St. Peter's and Jambo at Charleston Community Church as our first ministry apprentices. One thing which has changed a lot for me the last few weeks moving to Charleston is getting the bus in in the mornings. And it's funny, you see apprenticeships everywhere when you start thinking about them. On the bus, there's this modern apprenticeship sign, and they're nothing new, they're nothing modern. They've been going for thousands of years. And the apprenticeships are used by craftsmen to pass on skills to a new generation so that they don't die out. My family used to live in North Uist, and uh, her neighbour was a fisherman. And with that came many perks, such as crab claws and lobsters, and some great stories as well. And he'd often tell stories about his apprentices. Because he used to remind us, it was one thing to learn how to fish in a classroom. It's another thing to learn how to fish in the Minch in November. And this morning, we're in 2 Timothy. A letter Paul wrote to his ministry friend, Timothy, who's, who he's trained himself. And it's probably the last letter Paul wrote. And it lays out for us partly what the New Testament church should look like and how its leaders should work. But it's a deeply personal letter as well. Timothy is struggling, and from the end of the letter, we know, although it was personal, he wanted the church to be reading it over his shoulder. Don't turn there, but let me read first the last verse of the letter, which says, The Lord be with your spirit, your spirit singular, Timothy, Grace be with you, all of you, in the church in Ephesus. So before we start, why does Paul want all the church to know what this letter is about? Because he wants them to know what Timothy is going through, so that they can pray for him. And to know what they should expect from him, and all church leaders after him. So with that in mind, let's turn to a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And if you're in a church Bible, it's page 1195. And I'm going to read for us verses 1 to 7, and afterwards pray for us. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, from verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you've heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardships with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Let me pray and ask for the Lord's insight. Father, we thank you for this letter and this call you give Timothy to pass on the gospel to faithful men. Help us to understand your word now as we look at it. Give us insight into it. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in it this morning. Unite our hearts in reverent fear of you, we ask. And satisfy our hearts in your steadfast love. I pray all these things in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen. 
So I can see on the screen, Paul wants Timothy to be strengthened by the gospel and to pass the gospel on. The openings of Paul's letters are quite... Let me click that on, that's not... The openings of Paul's letters are quite helpful for seeing the direction of the rest of the letter. I think it was sort of like the, the concert master of the orchestra, the first chair violin, they start the tuning and everyone's tune has to be in line with that first one. Have a look at the first verse of the letter here. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Notice right at the start of this letter, three things. Paul's personally sent from Jesus. There's there's a promise, there's a word thing. And this promise is of life in Christ Jesus. This is what sets the tone for the rest of the letter. And Paul doesn't want Timothy to shift from this gospel because it's the gospel from Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus. And it's the only gospel that brings life. Look at verse 8, how he expands upon this. Let me read from verse 8 to verse 10. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose, his own grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This promise of life in Jesus in verse 1 is not something earned, so give my grace we see, God's sheer unmerited favour. That's what grace is. And it comes in Jesus. And look at these verses 8 to 10 to see what this grace does. What Jesus does. He's destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the good news about him. If that's what the good news does, if that's what it's about, then it's vitally important we get the gospel right, isn't it? I grew up in the northeast of England. Um, you probably can't tell from my accent. And in the northeast of England, there's this footballer called Alan Shearer, and he is a god there. People used to go to St. James's Park, his temple, because he bought goals and he brought Newcastle United back to life. But he didn't bring immortality to light, he didn't bring life itself. Think of when a university or a company may have found a cure for something. There's great fanfare, and so there should be. A new, a new drug, perhaps, which helps relieve pain, relieve suffering, delays death. That is good news worth passing on, isn't it? But we see in these verses in the gospel, we've got something much, much better. We have the news of a person who didn't simply delay death. The news of a person who has destroyed death, who has brought life and immortality to light. And Paul wants Timothy to be gripped by this gospel, to be shaped by this gospel, to hold fast to this gospel. But look at the first verse of our passage in chapter 2 as to what Paul says Timothy needs. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. The gospel's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Life, immortality to light. 
The reminder here that Christian ministry is hard. There's many times it will leave you feeling weak. Leave you feeling supernatural. Leave you feeling like you need some sort of supernatural courage. And one sense great this Sunday, David Sinclair and John are away, so I can talk about them. See, Timothy at this point is a seasoned gospel worker, and if he needed to be reminded of this, then of course our ministers also need to be reminded of this. David Sinclair, John, all of our ministers and leaders will face spiritual opposition, spiritual beatings that we won't. And there'll be times, even for them, when they'll be tempted just to pack it in. Times when it's really hard. Times when they think, I just can't do this anymore. And that's good for us to know. That's good for us to know so we can be encouraging them, be praying for them. You just think that one of the last things the great apostle wrote to his church was that our leaders need to be strengthened in the gospel. There's many things we can and will learn about the rapid decline of the church in Scotland. One of these things is that it's very well having doctrinal standards people sign up to. Westminster Confession, 39 Articles, whatever that may be. But it takes backbone to live for them. Backbone to hold fast to them. Backbone to hold others accountable to them. Our ministers are to have tender hearts to, to love and care and teach the Lord's sheep. But reminds here they need backbones of steel. And the only way that will happen is to be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. But suffering is not unique to gospel workers, gospel leaders, is it though? We're in a room entirely full of people who either, either are suffering or people preparing to suffer. It's not just Christian leaders who seem to be strengthened by the grace in Jesus Christ. We all do. And how do we do that? How do we get strengthened by it? Is it by looking within ourselves? By, by believing in yourself? Well, no. It's by listening to God's word. Sitting under the preaching and teaching of the gospel. For as we hear the word about Christ, that the work of Christ is done. So if you're here this morning and you are feeling spiritually weak, spiritually tired, feeling like you need to be strengthened by the grace in Christ Jesus, there's no better place for you to be than to sit here listen to the word of God. Paul says supernatural strength is needed for Christian ministry, but why is it so hard? Have a look back at verse 10 again of chapter 1. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life into immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Paul never suffered for his humanitarian work. He never really suffered for social justice stuff or anything he did. Paul suffered primarily because of what he taught. For Timothy to stick with Paul, to stick with Paul's gospel, was to bring suffering upon himself. Suffering that was directly linked because of what was being taught. 
And for Timothy, like all church leaders, temptation to distance ourselves from it, to not speak out on this issue, to stay quiet on something. Again, I don't think this is unique to church leader. We all feel this, don't we? The conversation tomorrow when someone asks how your weekend was, do we share what we heard today, what conversations we have with others at church? Or perhaps we're in a conversation with a group of friends or colleagues and there's an opportunity to say something radical, to give the Christian view across in it. But if, like me, we just bottle it at times, we distance ourselves from the gospel that brings life because we don't want to make it weird. We, we value our friendships with people. We don't want to upset them. Ultimately, we don't want to suffer because of what we're about to say. So we don't speak. But Christ Jesus is the grace of the gospel. If you're like me in that, there is forgiveness in him. There's strength in him. And the only way that we can continue amongst suffering is by being strengthened by him. But not only do Christian leaders need strengthen because of suffering that comes from when they teach, there's also, I think, a specific pain related that comes when those who they've taught themselves desert the gospel. Something else just runs right the way through the letter. Don't look these up, let me read them for us. 2 Timothy 1.15 You are aware that all who are in Asia, all turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, Chapter 2, 17 to 18, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. 4.10, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. 4.3-4, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 4.16, at my first offence, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. It's really lonely when suffering comes, when those you've loved and those you've trained have deserted the gospel. I mean, can you imagine Timothy getting this letter from Paul and the church reading it over his shoulder I had no idea, Timothy. I had no idea things were so hard. Can we see why we be praying for our leaders? Why Paul wanted the church in Ephesus to be praying for Timothy? Look as verse 2 goes on though. Paul reminds Timothy and the church that's no secret message, no hidden message, no change in gospel. This gospel Timothy is to teach is the same one Paul preached in front of many witnesses. This one and only gospel promise of the crucified and risen King, Lord Jesus, the one who has not delayed death but has destroyed death, this is the gospel, Timothy, you are to preach. This is the gospel you are to suffer for. And this offer of life is open to all who turn from their sin and trust in him. This is a gospel promise that was not just available then in Timothy's day, it's available to all of us today. And this is the gospel that is to be passed on. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. 
What sort of things do you entrust to someone? Imagine you're in, you're in a coffee shop, perhaps you're reading a book, and you need a toilet. You don't say, do you mind if I entrust my book to you while I nip to the loo? No, that's a bit silly, isn't it? Think of something more like this. As many of you know, Amy and I had twins six, seven weeks ago. Don't tell Amy, I don't know the answer. And we've got three young children now. And, well, we should be sensible and probably get a will sorted at some point. I mean, to think and pray about and think, who do we entrust our children to? Who do we commit our children to? Who can we say that if law calls at home, these are your responsibility? See, we entrust things to people that are of the greatest value to us. And Paul says that's the good deposit, that's the gospel, that's the thing we entrust to people. We entrust the, the gospel to people who are reliable, people who are faithful. Timothy is to find men that even at times when they feel most alone, when those closest to them have, who, who he's trained, he's invested in, desert him. Trust the gospel to these sorts of people who remain faithful. Remain faithful to teaching the gospel and be willing to suffer for it. Look how Paul paints a picture of what the the reliable man, the faithful man looks like. Look at three metaphors. Starts at verse 3. So join with me in suffering like a good soldier. What does a soldier do while they're not watching Netflix all night? They're not in the coffee shop all day? It's hard graft. It's deprivation. A good soldier surrounded by bloodshed and hurt, and their one focus, their sole aim, is to do the one job at hand, and in so doing, please their commanding officer. And Paul goes on to the athlete. Notice the picture here is not so much the focus of running, but obeying the rules, doing God's work in God's way, having honesty, uh, having integrity. Finally, the picture of the farmer. If the farmer doesn't work, he doesn't get a share. Constant holidaying means no harvest. Can't be bothered means can't feed the family. The picture Paul paints here of this reliable person, somebody who doesn't desert their work, someone who doesn't cheat, someone who isn't lazy, these are the marks of someone reliable. And in all of these pictures, one thing which is common in all of them is Suffering. Because in all of them, there's a single-minded service that says no to this and yes to this. The picture Paul fights here of what training looks like and the people to pass the gospel onto is one of fighting a war, running a race, farming a field. And this is what teaching the gospel and training gospel workers often feels like. Let's pause here for a moment. Let's spend some time thinking and feeling the weight of this for ourselves. As I've mentioned at the beginning, this letter helps lay out for us the pattern of gospel ministry for when the apostles have gone. And two chapters before the great climax of chapter 4, Two chapters before the great call of the pastor in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom I give you this charge, preach the word. Before this call to get the gospel out comes this call to pass the gospel on. 
To make sure that gospel ministry has a built-in passing on of the baton thing. And it's a huge task. Let's just remember who, who Timothy is. He's not a principal of a seminary. He's not someone set aside by a, a church to train people. He doesn't have a huge budget. Timothy is just a local minister of a local church. And Paul doesn't say to Timothy to wait for the perfect time to start training. Don't wait for things to calm down in Ephesus. Don't wait for certain financial stability. He says he needs to get on and do it. Things are hard for Timothy, really hard. And Paul's letter doesn't say, that must be really hard for you, Timothy. I'm sorry to hear that. He says, get on with training. See, the ministry of the gospel and the health of the church stands on falls on whether people like Timothy knows after him will keep on sharing the gospel, keep on passing it on to others. Every generation is in danger of losing the gospel. And don't we know that in Scotland today? Let me be personal for a moment. I'm so thankful for the investment I've had from men over the last uh, 10 years now, nearly. David, when I was a student here, meeting up with me, Robin Sidsurf, when I was through in Chalmers Church as an apprentice there, Pete Dixon, when I worked for UCCF, now back again, David, John and Andy here in St. Peter's, men who, like the Apostle Paul, have shared not only the gospel, but also life with me. Men who have sat with, prayed with, taught together with, questioned with, suffered with. So does all this mean that I should not bother returning to ETS in two weeks' time? That we shouldn't bother sending our apprentices to Cornhill? Well, no, of course not. Think of it, perhaps like this. It's essential for the medical student to attend lectures, to learn and show that they have that medical knowledge and pass those assessments. They also need to feel the pressure of the wards, the raw emotion of, of a family of a dying patient, the quick thinking needed for a treatment plan, the experience of working long days with much responsibility before they're left out on their own. See, at St. Peter's, we weren't able to provide all that's needed to help form gospel ministers. And so we partner with, with ETS, Cornhill, who do things much better than we can and things we simply can't do. So I, I'm loving my time at ETS. That's Edinburgh Theological Seminary. My mind being stretched and transformed. My heart renewed. My attitudes changed. My, my affections fueled. But then I love being able to put them to practice the very next day here in the life of St. Peter's. See, it's a church that makes ministers, not seminaries. But we do need both of them. Part of that, I think, is because as wonderful as seminaries are, and they are wonderful, thank God for the resurgence of ETS. Men like Will coming over to help teach us and train us. They can't fully tell if someone's faithful or reliable. Like the, the student in the lecture, the medical student, they can tell if they can retain information, digest it, reproduce it. They can see how they interact and part with people. It's in the local church where the ministry student follows the minister around their ward of St. Peter's, 
learns how to listen, how to care, how to correctly share the gospel Thursday meets and point people constantly to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as the ministry student goes out before all, the church sees them in the good times and the bad times. And where progress is seen openly by all, that's something Paul wants people to see in Timothy. And think of it in a small way like this, the progress. I talk too fast. Let's be honest. Sometimes I talk too fast. But isn't it great we've got another three years to work on it? Isn't it great that I wasn't having let loose in some poor congregation with a speed-talking Northumbrian? Now, our apprentices here at St. Pete's in Charleston, they're in the early days of 2 Timothy 2.2. We're not training them to be ministers. That's me, minister in training. We're training them to be leaders in a local church. See, God's plan A for the furtherance of the Gospels has always been a local church. And our country is in a moral mess. The church is in rapid decline. And what Scotland needs more than anything else is the gospel. And for churches to function, we need people to lead ministries in the church. Ministers, elders, trained to lead the church. And it's the same grace that strengthens us each day. It's the same grace that the people of Scotland need to hear. So we need people equipped, trained, to share that good news, to share that grace in Christ Jesus. And I think that this passing on of the baton thing is so exciting in gospel ministry. Some people might think that, that, that training people is sort of like the icing on the top of a cake of a church. No, it's not. If the church is a cake, it's part of the cake itself. Suppose you, you leave here and you're looking for a new church. And you go somewhere and ask the church leader, what's your church all about? What's really important for you to be doing as a church? And training's really got to be in there. Now, it doesn't have to be a formal program like we've got here. Churches in different contexts will look slightly differently. But training, the passing on of the gospel to teachers who will go on to teach others must be there. It's exciting because it means that church is never to be in maintenance mode. No matter how hard things get, and things were hard for Timothy. But being strengthened by the gospel, we pass the gospel on so ultimately the gospel can get out into Scotland and the nations. Why? Because we have the life-giving news of the one who has destroyed death. And look again at 2 Timothy 2.2. Notice here four generations in view. You've got Paul. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful person number one, faithful person number one to faithful person number two. We want to train gospel workers who are going to train gospel workers who are going to train gospel workers. Why? Because Christ has risen from the dead. He has defeated death. He has brought light and immortality to life. And so for the sake of the elect, we will endure all things so that they may hear and believe the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I do this? Because this is what the church needs to be doing. The church in Scotland, Christ has called us to do it. Why are we doing it for the sake of our children? We saw them sitting here in front of us. We want them to grow up in churches which, which know the Lord and love the Lord and share the good news about the Lord. But for us as a church, this is going to cost us. 
It's going to cost us financially. It means David and Sinclair can't preach every week. It means time from time of our leaders is, is taken up investing in new people. It means it'll cost us because we need to be patient. Mistakes will be made. And we'll suffer in ways we just don't know yet. Because we seek to get the gospel right and to pass the gospel on. But just think though, in the years to come. Think long term. Think in the years to come of, of God willing, two new ministry apprentices starting every year at St. Peter's. A new minister in training every few years. Think of the encouragement we see as we see their progress. Think of the impact they will, God willing, go on and have. People coming to know the Lord through them. People being built up as they teach the Bible to people. The nations being reached, perhaps, as they're sent out to the nations. Churches being planted. Is that not worth looking forward to? Is that picture we have here not worth investing in? So what's our response to all this? We'll pray for David. Pray for our ministers because gospel ministry is hard. And pray for the new generation of leaders that David, John and Andy are training so that they can go on to teach others and they can go on to teach others. Pray for the glory and expansion of the church of Christ that through its leaders who teach the Bible it will continue to grow. That our prayers are giving our encouragement, our training. May the Lord use our weak labours for his glory as we seek to be strengthened by the gospel and pass the gospel on so that others may come to know him, the one who abolished death, the one who's brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we have got a gospel to proclaim, the wonderful news of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one in whom there is salvation, for salvation belongs to our God, the one who sits at the right hand of the throne, the one who is the head of the church, the one who said, his church shall continue to grow and the gates of hell shall not prevail over it. Lord Jesus, we confess that who are we to partake in this work? We are weak people who need to be strengthened in the gospel. May you do that, we ask, as we read your word, as we hear it explained. Help us be, be praying for David, praying for Sinclair, for John, for Andy. We thank you for these men. Bless them, we ask. Bring David Sinclair and John back safe to us. Be with Andy this afternoon as he, as he shares your word in, in Charleston. Father, help us to support them in the work of, of training gospel leaders. And may we be encouraged as we see their progress, as we partake in different ways in that training. We ask all these things for your glory, Lord Jesus, and for your fame now and amongst the nations. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our last song together, a song I quoted in that prayer. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. After we've finished standing, uh, singing, please remain standing for our benediction. Please stand with me and join singing our song.